Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick fire, tries it, don't know. Long we over. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Fletcher! Lucius McCulloch saved again. Barry Ferguson does this again. It's two for the price of one on the Hamden Roar in this episode as we get an insight from someone who has not only played for the national team but managed it as well. Craig Levine was part of the squad at Italia 98 before getting his opportunity in management nearly 20 years later. He spoke to me, Andy Barge, about his experiences with the national team. Craig, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Hamden Roar with me. Can you believe it's now been five years since you were the Scotland manager? Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. There's so much has happened uh, between then and now. But uh, yeah, five years. I've got a lot greyer. I thought I couldn't get any greyer after doing the Scotland <laughs> job. But you didn't have that beard when you were Scotland manager. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I had to go incognito after that. <laughs> <laughs> let's touch. Uh, let's touch on your playing career first, though, before we discuss your spell as manager. How uh, how did it feel to make your debut against Argentina back in 1990? Oh, it's a long time ago. Um, it was uh, it was really satisfying. I mean, I'd, I'd, uh, I was on the fringes of being involved in the Scotland squads uh, sort of two years before that, and I travelled over to Israel. I think it was with with the squad, maybe in eighty seven or something like that. I can't remember exactly. <coughs> But I, I, I got injured, obviously, and then I had to wait. And my, my sort of debut got prolonged because of the injuries, and I was effectively, you know, nearly two and a half years or something like that in total that I missed through through injury. So um, it was even more of a, a a wonderful feeling to to eventually get there after you know after all the injury problems as well as you know, genuinely just want to play for Scotland. So you knew Roxburgh was a fan of you then. Andy came to the hospital when I was when I tore my cruciate the first time and brought a Scotland top woman. Uh, sort of said, "Look, you know, we're we're thinking about you, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you would have been involved if you hadn't got injured." And the carrot to come back stronger and fitter was obviously that that uh, he still had it in mind that I could be involved in international football. So I was grateful uh, for that because um, that was one of the things obviously that kept me going. So was being involved in Italia 90 then, if, if it, you're saying being involved with Scotland or the thought of it kept you going, was being involved in Italia 90 one of the peaks of your playing career? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, loved, I absolutely loved that. I mean, it was a, it was a brilliant experience. Um, you know, as a kid, growing up, I always watched every Scotland game that I could, you know, and uh, I, all I did was play football with my, my brother, uh, two brothers and my older brother probably more but and we'd load, loads of mates playing down the park and all that sort of stuff so I just played football that was all I did and to to you know finally get the, the opportunity to play in a in a World Cup was was an amazing feeling honestly it was incredible did you expect to be called up? Um, well I played against Argentina uh, my debut I don't know I don't know my, my memory's terrible <laughs> I don't know if that was the beginning of 1990 or... March, I think, 1990. Yeah, yeah. So that was my, my debut and I played reasonably well in that game. So I thought I had a, there was a chance that I maybe uh, would get called up to the to the squad. But 
to actually get called up and then to play. I didn't play in the first game, uh, the Costa Rica match. Maybe a relief looking back. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I was disappointed not to have played in that. And then, uh, obviously, I played in the, the Sweden game, which we won, um, and I played reasonably well in that. So I was, you know, I was actually desperate to play in the uh, in the Brazil match, the last of the, the of three good games. But I had a sort of tail end of the season. I had a kind of top end of my hat, my thigh, my hip. That area was had been niggling me the last couple of seasons, sort of last two or three games of the season, just as a consequence of having been out so long. Um, so I, I struggled to play two games in you know in a short period of time, and uh, I didn't feel I didn't feel anything untoward in the Sweden match. But afterwards, I had a reaction. Right. Okay. And I had a fitness test for the for the Brazil game uh, the day before, and. I, and you know, involved striking a lot of passes and uh, and I felt it you know weaken then so unfortunately I missed out on that game. You got a hundred percent record though. <laughs> yeah. And also you were in the last Scotland team to win a match at the the World Cup. That's something that you can say it's quite quite mad, isn't it? Well, I hope that doesn't last much longer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I, I don't think any of us in, in business are something to wait so long to get back into um the World Cup. I know we qualified for the Euros after that, didn't we? But it's been a, a drought, a long, long drought, actually. Um, and I think I didn't realise at the time, obviously, you, you think that, that mm-hmm. you get to a World Cup. You know, There's going to be more of those coming along very soon afterwards, but it just didn't happen. And there's a whole generation of players who have have missed that, missed out. And I mean, guys like Stevie Naismith played 50 caps for... Mm-hmm. Well, 49 caps, but <laughs> soon to be 50, I hope, um, and haven't had the opportunity to play in a World Cup. Uh, I played, I think, 15 or 16 times for Scotland and, and did manage to play. What kind of player were you before big games when you were told you were starting against Sweden in a World Cup match? Are there nerves or are you just ready and focused to go? Uh, I think everybody has a degree of nerves. It manifests itself in different ways. Uh, I, I didn't get particularly nervous. Uh, you know, by that time, I don't know what age it would have been, in 25 or something, 25, 26, something. And I'd, you know, obviously spent a lot of time coming back from injury, but I'd played a lot of games as well. So I didn't, you know, I didn't feel particularly nervous. I was actually annoyed that I didn't get picked for the, for the Costa Rica match. So I was even more determined to do well in the Sweden game. Was there much of an aftermath post-Costa Rica in the changing room? Maybe a... Sort of a post mortem of what went wrong. I remember not so much in the changing room, but later on that evening there was a bit of discussion about about the game. Um, there wasn't anything, you know, over the top or untoward happened, but there was a lot of frustration, you know. And uh, we nearly, sad things, we nearly qualified anyway, even though yeah. <laughs> even though we only won the one match. Just the, the, the way the, the thing panned out, we were waiting. If I remember correctly, we were waiting on a another match uh, if it had gone a certain way we, we would have still gone through with the points we had which was pretty bizarre but um, yeah it was, it was frustrating that we didn't qualify I thought we were capable of qualifying out of that group What do you recall about your performance or the game in general in the Sweden game? I played I played well I felt comfortable um, yeah, was that, did you feel Scotland were in control in that sort of, in that sort I of thought game? I thought we were the better side in that game for sure and uh, I mean, they were, the boys were really, really keyed up before, before the match, um, and I could tell you know everybody was determined to to do as well as they possibly could, and I think that showed in the performance. Because I thought we were better than Sweden on the day. Was there a lot of pride at full time? Uh, there's a lot of pride any time involved in Scotland. I mean, I remember walking out on the pitch before the uh, before the game, about an hour and a half before the game, and uh, there was a whole load of Scottish. Fans were already in. My two brothers were actually in, oh, the, well, uh, in the crowd. You know, uh, they looked half pushed to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so did everybody else. <laughs> um, so it was great. Just even that in itself was great. To, it was great to be there and be involved. Did you look back now and at the time as a at it as a missed opportunity, not getting out of the group? Yeah, I think everybody who was there would say that. I mean, because I think even the Brazil game were really unlucky in that that match. It was a mistake, and uh, 
and that's what cost us. And as I say, we, could, we still could have gone through. It was bizarre. You only featured in a couple of the 92 qualifiers. Was that injury-related? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really... I wasn't really involved much, much after that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously I had to... Uh, got re-injured again later on and when I was about 28 or something like that. And that effectively was just about the end of my career. I mean, I, I was still at heart when I was about 30, 31, but I had, had so many problems trying to get over... Uh, I, mean, I had five major operations on the same knee, and uh, but eventually I had to call it a day, you know. But that, I mean, the highlight was definitely I mean, my debut was a highlight for playing for Scotland, and obviously playing against Sweden in the World Cup in 1990 was a huge highlight for me as well. Let's discuss your managerial career. Then you're saying that you feel like a lot of time has passed since you were manager of Scotland. Was it initially an ambition of yours when you entered management? I couldn't say it was. I mean, I mean, as a player, I. Entered, you know, I started playing football when I was five, I think, you know, <laughs> but I'd always had an ambition to play for Scotland. I wouldn't say that, because my, my path into management was more uh, forced upon me than anything else. Obviously, I, all I'd done, well, I did work for, for about a year and a half after I left school. Uh, um, but then, from then, obviously, my, my whole life up to that point was... was Playing football, so I didn't really know an awful lot else. Uh, and when I when I had to stop playing through injury, the natural kind of path is to to go into the management side of things. I really didn't know how I would go on. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have enough confidence in my ability when I started out in management. I had much more confidence in my ability as a player, right. you know, because management's so different, and you rely so much on on other people. Um, at least with being a player, you can control just about everything. <laughs> but, uh, the management side of things is so different. Um, so I, I couldn't honestly say that, I, that I'd set out in, in management to, to be the Scotland manager. Uh, I just sort of felt my way in. in fact, I started at Cowdenbeath, basically, mm. you know. So Quite the rise. So, yeah, the, the, I don't think there's many that have started at Cowdenbeath <laughs> International manager, maybe Mixu did actually. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, well remembered. Yeah. <laughs> How did the appointment with Scotland come about? You were doing well with United at the time, and you were certainly, as I recall, the fans' pick for the managerial post. Yeah, I. You know, the thing is that the things were going so well at Dundee United at the time that I really didn't want to leave, um, because I'd, I'd done a whole load of work in the academy. And, you know, guys like young boys like Sir John Souter were coming. Through right, okay. and Ryan Gold and Johnny Russell and uh, David Goodwillie and you know there was a quite a strong core of young players that I thought were going to really help Dundee kick on and but how many opportunities do you get to <laughs> to manage Scotland you know and I I thought long and hard about it but there was just something tugging away at me that said you can't. You know, turn it down. You can't refuse it. So, did you apply, or did the SFA come to you? No, they contacted me um, and asked if I'd be interested in, in taking the job. How long does that process take? Because you were appointed just before Christmas, two thousand and nine. Must be been a nice present. But how long does the process take before that? Uh, well, it was a. I think it was it Gordon Smith. I think it was the mm-hmm. chief exec at the time, and George. George Pete, I think it was, it was George Pete. Yeah, he was the uh, president of the F- SFA at the time, if I remember correctly. I knew he was funny. I knew I had a, I had a real chance of getting the job because uh, I had been I had been <laughs> called up to Hamden for some comments I made after matches <laughs> about uh, I'd criticised a referee or something like that, and uh, and one of my sort of Moments that I'm less proud of, <laughs> uh, but, but have happened quite regularly, unfortunately. Um, I, I, you know, I was quite critical of, of uh, a referee after a performance. I can't remember what game it was, and I was up in front of the, the panel. In fact, I was up in two charges. Uh, said <laughs> two weeks in a row, I'd said something. And uh, I went into the expecting to get hammered, and I got off with both of them, which <laughs> right. I could not believe because I was guilty in both. And I thought, there's something going on. <laughs> So, uh, bit, and probably about four or five days later, I got offered the job, you know. Wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> Subtle. 
how big was it? How big was the change going from working day to day in club management to being an international manager? Uh, that was frustrating. That was really frustrating. Uh, there's two things that I, I look back on it and, and uh, that, I, that I think didn't help me or I didn't help myself with. You know, I, I struggled to deal with that. I really did struggle. I loved being on the training ground at that time. I'm a different person now. I'm much calmer and. Uh, and don't feel the need to, to do every single training session and do everything that needed to be done. But at that time I did. And so there's a huge intensity to club management that mm-hmm. that fills your time uh, and also had a huge interest in developing young players. So I was at the academy in the days where I wasn't working with the, with the first team. So I had a full day, every day, and I loved it. You know, I loved that kind of constant buzz. And, uh, and I struggled... Uh, struggled with the, with the time that I had. What, what did you do to fill that time? Um, stop at McDonald's in the motorway, that would be the... It was difficult. I, I try, what I tried to do was structure some sort of normal working week, which isn't very easy. You know, I'd, uh, I would head down south sort of on a Friday um, and try and take in two games or three games... Um, over a weekend or players that you had your eye on yeah uh, or, or or just to monitor how the players were playing and, and obviously I was at Blackpool a lot and they were in the Premier League at the time and Blackburn and Man United and, you know the teams that were in the north of the, okay. the country so I could catch all of our players so I generally spent uh, when I was at Burnley quite a, a lot as well so I, I tended to not to go I was in London a few times but I tended mainly to stay in the north and try and catch all the teams there and see all the players and then I would I would you know go and visit a training ground or two or three training grounds maybe on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning I'd come back up the road and then go into the office for a few days and then the sort of cycle would be repeated but it didn't give me any you know it didn't give me the kind of buzz that I got from interaction with, with players and, that, and that's the second thing I found difficult at a club you can develop really good relationships with players and I found it frustrating just the way I like to manage I found it frustrating that I, I couldn't have any sort of decent relationships with, from the point of view of you, you saw them for a bit, very brief period of time you also you didn't pay their salary so you know the way that you dealt with them wasn't you couldn't very difficult to pull anybody up and have a have a pop at them, right. you know, because uh, you can do that at a club because there's a, you know, players have got two and three year contracts and you know they need to fall into line with the, with the rest of the, the team. And I found it, I found it difficult to, you know, to get good, really good relationships with players. Is that does that come down to being able to trust them to carry out what you want them to do in the park? Yeah, partly, but also I think I think if you have a really good relationship with somebody, then you work harder for them, or you do more, or mm-hmm. you know, and a, and a, you know, those players are effectively borrowing players for a short period of time. And I, don't get me wrong, I loved those two weeks or whatever it was whenever we, we got together because the quality of player was fantastic, the best players had, you know, had the pleasure of working with. And uh, you know, it's, it's quite funny because you. Having done nothing for ages, I always had just loads of ideas and things that I wanted to do when the players arrived. But some of them come off the back of playing, you know, six games in three weeks or something, right. and you know you've got to just calm down and, and you know look at what's best for them and how much work you can do before the game. So I would all the stuff I wanted to do, and you know the physios would say, "Oh, so and so's not training today. He's not training. Today. He's a rest." You know, and you've got no control over. Well, not really. If you want, you know, you want to listen to, to the professionals, and if they they say to you, "Be careful with this player or that player," then it's it's difficult to you know, to keep pushing them. And, I, and the last, the, the most awkward phone calls that you ever have as a manager, your national team's phoning a club manager and saying your players got injured, right? You know, and because of that, having been the club manager and then being the national team manager, I I knew that was there's a you have to strike a balance between. You know, sometimes club managers will phone you and say, look, this player's got a wee hip injury, he's got this or that, can you leave him out? And you try your best to help, but, you know, obviously there's pressure when it comes to the, you know, the important matches, the, the pressure's there to play your best team. So that that is always a, a tricky relationship to manage as well between the club manager and obviously the, the national manager. One so, of, well, I don't know if it was one of the first, but 
something that you needed to sort, I suppose, when you became the Scotland manager was the situation that had arisen with Barry Ferguson and Alan McGregor. How did you deal with that? Because McGregor came back into the fold, ultimately. I spent a bit of time with both of them and, and you know, tried to get them to, to come back and play because I, th- you know, I thought they were very significant players who, who should have been playing. Um, Alan... Uh, Alan's probably had more of a kind of happy-go-lucky attitude to it, and he said, "Ah, you know, just come back and get involved." Barry was quite hurt by a lot of the, or stung by a lot of the criticism, and I think he had he was more of a mind that that he'd, that was enough for him. He didn't want to, and I think you've got to respect that. You know, I, I didn't go through what they went through, so I didn't understand completely what they felt so. he hailed your appointment Barry Ferguson mm-hmm. I remember did that kind of send a message out to you suggesting that Barry Ferguson wants to play for Scotland again but, uh, I just thought we'd tr- try and get as many of the best players who, who are Scottish to you know to yeah. play them and, uh, and I, I brought I brought Mick Oliver with me to do a bit of scouting and Mick's job was to to try and find players who had Scottish grandparents, and you know, and there's there's always a debate about this whether it's, you should, you know, use that rule to 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 bring other players. But I, I just felt we wanted to get the best players possible, and Mick would, you know, hang about after games, and right. asking players once they're coming out on the bus if they had any Scottish grannies <laughs> or stuff like that. <laughs> so that's something you had no qualms with then. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, I just wanted to. Uh, I wanted the team to do well. I just thought if we can find more players um, and uh, better players, then that obviously you know, bodes well for the, for the results. So that was my, my viewpoint on it. The first competitive game was 0-0 away to Lithuania at the start of the qualifiers for Euro 2012. Did you feel the pressure straight away? Um, I was slightly disappointed. I think Nisi maybe played in that game, if I remember correctly. But we we had a couple of chances to win the game, and uh, and that I was frustrated uh, and a little bit disappointed that we didn't you know get off to a, to a winning start. Um, but there's the football's different as well, you know. It's not uh, it's not the same. I could, I'd liken it more to to your club, you know, playing in Europe than I would to a normal uh, SPL match or SPFL match. So it's much cagier than. Than games are in, in, in normal circumstances for us here in Scotland. So, you know, it's, it's a bit cat and mouse, and you don't want to overcommit. And uh, you know, we, we just didn't we didn't take our chances in that match. In Lithuania, of course, there's that many problems if I remember correctly. Does, uh, do some fans and um, maybe even sections of the media underestimate how difficult it can be to achieve a result or a win in places like that? Yeah, I don't even like even mentioning that because it is what it is. You know, I think the expectation of of uh, the fans in Scotland is high, and because everybody remembers us qualifying regularly. Um, so, and I remember us qualifying regularly. So I, I didn't think it was going to be like extremely difficult to get us into into a major tournament. But it did prove. To be the case, and it's still proving to be the case. Did fan pressure and media pressure, though, did you feel that ramp up from United to Scotland? Because of expectation, levels. yeah, it was it was a funny thing, you know. Like I said to you about um, having a lot of time to to myself. Um, you don't get that in, uh, in normal club football, so you're you're constantly speaking to the media. You know, you're, uh, I was at Dundee United before, and they had media guys at the stadium just about every day, which is highly unusual. But that was the case at Dundee United, and uh, so you do a lot of a lot of media stuff. Then you have this this frenzy of of media attention for two weeks if you've got a double header, mm-hmm. um, which is different to again to the club stuff. And uh, listen, I don't I don't mind doing the the, the media. But it was like, you know, nothing, and then phew, crazy for yeah for a couple of weeks. You know. What's running through your head as the clock ticks down against Liechtenstein at one-one? Uh, it's quite funny. I don't think you ever can think 
like the bigger picture, if you know what I mean. I think it's more just focused and, and okay. intent on on trying to do something to get us you know, to get back in the game or to get a winner or you know that sort of thing. Hey, um, oh, sorry, go on. And you know, obviously, the the sometimes the, the pressures pressures greater at times when you're the favourites to win. You know, that's you're going into going in to play a team that's 30 places above you in the, in the rankings doesn't have the same pressure as you know, at home against the, what are considered to be minnows you know, and, and it, but, you know at, that, at that time obviously that was an important match for us because it, uh, everybody's got that one sort of chopped down yeah. as three points you know um, and we scored late on if I remember oh, McManus just about yeah. last well, last header of the game yeah. Yeah, yeah. 96th minute yeah. that must have been a a complete weight off the. It the was, it was a, obviously a relief, but that's the same in any match if you manage to get a last, a last gasp winner. Um, so we didn't play particularly well in that match, but I mean, when you know, if you, if you it's like winning a cup or, or getting to a cup final or, or, uh, or, or you know Scotland getting to a, a major tournament, you don't remember the, the qualifying rounds and some of the games that you scrape by it. Yeah. You know, I think it's just getting there that's the uh, that's the biggest thing. And you know, as I say, that the fact that you didn't manage to to qualify is is pretty it's pretty simple in, in international football. If you don't qualify for the tournament and you don't qualify for a second tournament, you're gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's pretty much how it works. Yeah, it's protocol, isn't it? The the win against Liechtenstein though was at the time a, a huge boost after the draw. Against Lithuania, is international football pretty much win at all costs rather than developing and trying to get good performances? I, I think winning, I think winning at all costs is is the thing because you there's no continuity. You you, you you pick a squad and then three months later you pick another squad and you look at the two squads and there's eight, nine, ten changes and three or four of those are probably the starting eleven. So, and sometimes with double headers, you feel you can get a little bit of momentum, momentum going, and then it disappears. And uh, then again, when you come back, everything's you know back to the base camp again. Yeah. You're, you know, you're trying to build confidence and uh, and momentum, but it's not easy. It isn't easy. The game away to the Czech Republic brought a lot of criticism from media. Did it? And fans like, <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> How do you uh, reflect on that decision? I, it's funny. You, you, I don't often think about it now, but I mean, uh, at the time, I thought a draw, you know, away to Czech Republic would be a decent result for us. I didn't have, you know, a lot of confidence in uh, in the strikers at the time. Uh, I, I don't know who was. I know Kenny Miller was Miller. there. So that would have been his 50th. Yeah, and Kenny didn't take it too well, actually, yeah. the fact that he wasn't... Uh, and it was leaked to the papers, that our, our squad was leaked to the papers. Um, I'm not going to ask you to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. no, don't. Um, and that, that annoyed me, you know, because as much as... Uh, you know, my job's to pick the team and... Uh, I believe you know when I played for Scotland, you did your best in every single, every single match, and you know woke up in the morning of the game and our formation was in the newspapers, you know, which I think didn't help. And you know in the game it was it was stuffy, it was it was bitty, it was there was nothing. Neither team could gain any momentum, which for us I thought was was okay. And we've lost a goal to a set piece, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, which was really annoying because we were quite good at, uh, at defending and in attacking sense at set pieces. So that was a frustration that we lost the game 1-0. Did you, did you understand why people were having a go at your selection? Yeah, yeah. I, listen, I, it's football. Eh? If you don't win, you're open to criticism. And that basically is how it works. You know, if we'd got a draw, uh, there people might have said different things. And people will always say... That uh, they want to see beautiful football. They don't really. People want to see Scotland qualify. Yeah. And that's that was my prime concern and, uh, in those moments because I did believe if we got to a tournament, 
and how we played and, and how we got there was almost irrelevant. If he'd left the Czech Republic with a point, it would have been then job done for the night. Yeah, I think so. Or sneak to win. Yeah. You know, that was the other. Uh, that was the other thing. You know, if we managed to sneak a win in, uh, in that on the counter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, but it didn't work, and, and it has caused a lot of uh, merriment since. <laughs> yeah, it certainly has been a bit <laughs> of a, well, a dark cloud. Certainly, that's lingered for a for a while. I've, I read and or heard in past interviews that there were some problems with players not being on side at that point not on the park but with you um, was it down to management still were there a few players that didn't really go along I, with the way you wanted to do things yeah, I, I think those things if you don't win matches those things spring up and sometimes they're just not true but the I, I mean there was a, a very uh, public uh, situation with Stephen Fletcher and I you know, it's a long story, but I, mean, I don't want to go into any great detail. But I think, other than in that particular situation, I wouldn't say I had any I had any sort of difficult relationships with any of the players. I wouldn't say that. No, I didn't. Well, certainly they might say that, but I, I certainly didn't feel that. Yeah. Well, the, the Stephen Fletcher thing, we won't go in great mm. detail, but it certainly did cause a lot of discussion uh, and debate around Scotland fans and the media. How often did you think about trying to? Remedy the situation when it was when when the relationship seemed to have broken down. I did manage to sort to sort it. Um, well, it just yeah, took a while after so, yeah. twelve twelve months or so, wasn't yeah. it? He was out the the squad. Did it, did you think at that time to try and fix it straight away, or did Fletcher try to want to come to you? No, I, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to sort of whole drag the whole thing up again. People start asking Stephen sure, sure. stuff, you know, and. Uh, I mean, I look back on it, and I should have fixed it earlier. You know, um, the after it was fixed, we were fine. There wasn't a problem, uh, and it probably just required. But I, I kind of took umbrage with the fact that he, he, you know, he said he didn't want to play, and through kind of second-hand information, and you know, I should have just gone down, spoken to him rather than, you know, listening to other people. So, um, yeah, I regret not. I regret not fixing that. Uh, you know, I think it, it wasn't a great situation. You know. were, were you satisfied with the other options up front at that point? I suppose Miller was still playing, Naismith was there. Yeah, I mean, we, we. I don't think you can ever have too many good players, you know. Uh, and that's why that was the, my, my, my regret on this whole thing is that, uh, you know, if I'd dealt with it immediately and, and tried to fix it, then I think it. No. Whether the results would have been any better or not, I don't know. You know, you don't know. So. How was it remedied in the end? Yeah, well, I went down to see him. I did a blather with me. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. And he was fine. You know, it was. Uh, he wanted to play, and uh, I wanted him to play. So, uh, and again, I, 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 my regret is I didn't fix it. Like that. Okay, let's touch on the Spain game. Is that one that pains you that that got away in the end? Which one? The, 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 the home game. game. Uh, it was probably just symptomatic of that, you know, things didn't go uh, the way exactly the way I wanted them to. There were signs that we were heading in the, in the right direction. We played really well in that match. The game plan worked really, really well. But I think we lost a goal to a header late on or something. Urente scored. Yeah, one was a penalty, of course. Whitaker. Yeah, it. yeah. So, um, you know, little things can change the course of, of, of matches, and I think managers before me and managers since will say, will say the same thing that we we need things to go our way for us to qualify because we don't have we don't. I mean, most of the teams that you come up against in international football have got you know three or four key players who are playing at really really high levels who can. You know, can change a game or turn a match uh, with some either great defending or great goalkeeping. Bale, for example. Yeah, yeah, that, that, you know. But there's a lot. Of, you know, the best teams have got lots of them. Some of the smaller teams that do well have have one or two, um, and and so we didn't have that magic, if you know what I mean. We didn't have that player who who might or a talisman who might change the game for us. So we needed we needed things to go for us in a match, and. 
the threat of the Spain game was, was frustrating because we could have won uh, things didn't go our way uh, and to score if, I, if somebody said to me before the game you scored two goals would you be happy I said I'd be ecstatic I think we would have a chance of going through that uh, but I was probably just as frustrated at the away game as well because we had opportunities to to do really well and at least get a point in that game um, you know and maybe again I come back to the point about sometimes the players play better when the pressure's off uh, and we weren't expected to do anything against Spain and we put in better we put in better performances Did you think the unthinkable was on when it went 2-2? Um, I thought we had a chance of winning I mean the, game, the way the game had gone I thought We've got just as, as good a chance as, uh, of getting the third goal as they did. Um, but to lose it, in, you know, we lost them then. It's a cross, if I remember correctly. Steve McManus just misjudged the flight of the ball. I was right behind it. I, can still uh, it. I mean, it was a great night and, and reminded me of, of why I took the job. And the feelings of, of pride and everybody working really hard and the crowd being right behind us. Um, and, and again, I was so frustrated that... that the supporters and the players didn't get that feeling of we've achieved something, and I was constantly trying to get that that feeling, you know, so that we could build on it and, and try and build some sort of momentum. But it, it just again, it was probably sort of symptomatic of the whole thing, really. That it just didn't go away. Were there specific players or a spine that you tried to build your team around at that point? Did you feel you had a set eleven or so? Not really, no. It chopped and changed a lot because of availability. Uh, you know, I, that's what I'm saying. You come back. Sometimes in, in club football, you've got control over that. Whether you can pick your, you know, every day what they're doing. If somebody's got a wee bit of strain and muscle, you can leave them out of training for two or three days. Just so, but, but in in international football, they're away doing other things. You've no idea what they're up to. Um, you know idea how, how they're training, you've no idea if anybody has any niggles of that until they really arrive with you. So, uh, so many times I picked my team three weeks before I selected the squad and five of the players were unavailable. Right. So, I really stopped, I stopped doing that altogether and just waited to see, you know, who was going to turn up. Uh, and of course, the, 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 when the team's doing well, Everybody wants to turn up. You know, when the team's struggling a wee bit, you know, a lot of the players played down in England, and if they're going into a dressing room and the team's struggling, they're getting a bit of stick from their English right. colleagues or stuff like that. And maybe if they've got a little problem, they might say, mm, I don't know if I fancy it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just it's human nature. Right? Can you tell if a player's at it with a call off sometimes? Um, or do you have suspicions? I've got a couple of great stories, but I can't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Without names, maybe. <laughs> no. Player X. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Oh, damn it. <laughs> okay. Uh, just drag the whole thing up again. I don't, and I don't want to do that, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, people are at it sometimes. You know. It must be frustrating, though, as manager. I mean, trying to get victories with sometimes your job on the line as a press. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's difficult to to be overly critical because it's part, it comes back to me, it's my responsibility. I mean, I, if people don't want to come, that could be accused of not creating the right environment, you know? So I, I've got to take that on the chin. Uh, and blaming other people doesn't, doesn't sit well with me, you know what I mean? So uh, I, I look at myself and say, I didn't, maybe I didn't create that you know, environment for them to feel like they're coming along no matter what, okay. you know? So. One game that still still frustrates me, gosh, what we now, seven years later or so, is the Czech Republic game at home, the 2-2 match, when the referee awarded the Czechs the last-minute penalty that should never have been. Uh, I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) (laughs) To take the lead, again, went through Fletcher just after conceding. That must have been the moment for maybe the landmark victory of your tenure, the, the victory that Scotland yeah. needed during that campaign? Well, it's, it's what we, we needed, I needed, it's what the group needed, was something tangible to, to hold on to and, and to say all that effort has been rewarded. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could ever say in all seriousness that we had a, a match that, that 
we got something out of it that, that allowed us to build yeah. for, the, for the future. Not to build for the future, but to feel good about ourselves. You know, so, yeah, I was just, again, I come back to the same thing. It, it, it seemed that, and sometimes it's, it's difficult to stay positive when those things happen. And uh, that game was a sick scenario, you know. Afterwards, I, I watched it back once and I couldn't watch it anymore. I thought, oh, it's just typical of what's been going on. Can you remember it from the touchline, seeing the Rezek or I think Razak his name, uh, went down? Could you tell from there that I, I can suspected, you know, this bit of an unnatural way it, it happened. And you can tell by the reaction of the defenders as well. Um, but again, as I say, you know, the. I keep saying it, that it'll change, you know, because it seems that Gordon had a whole lot of difficult situations to deal with, things didn't uh, go our way. Um, you know, and I think that I'm hoping that Alex will get a break, you know. <laughs> I really do. I, I, I feel that there's so many things happened over the years that, that have stopped us from winning uh, or qualifying through the through the groups that, that, that I think, God... What's going on? You know, we should uh, we should uh, that should have happened for us, or this should have happened yeah. for us. And I'm hoping that this time, that we're, with the boys uh, that are currently currently in the national squad, and Alec and Charm, I'm, I'm hopeful, touch wood, that we can, you know, get the monkey off our back. 2014 was a a tough tough group, tough qualifying group. Belgium and Croatia both in there. Serbia were good at the time. Wales were improving. Yeah. The first two games against Serbia and Macedonia at home really didn't go the way that you would have hoped with the two draws. Yeah. Did that? Did, did you feel that perhaps the right might have been on the wall soon after that? Um, you know, something I can't remember exactly how the games went. You know, um, the Serbia was, quite, was nothing each. I remember that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, at that time you had to go and sit in a room and talk about you know with all the, the managers of all the clubs uh, about the, the scheduling you know and this you know I've been looking into it and see what's the best thing to start for is it sometimes better to start with an away game or is it, you know just to um, to start the group off and, and not getting at least one three points out of those two did make it more difficult no doubt uh, I think we needed to win one of those matches at the minimum you know, okay, they were they were decent size, but I mean, um, certainly Serbia were. You know, uh, so that that did get us off to a poor start, yeah, no doubt. When the team is underperforming results-wise like that, does it impact you as a manager in terms of maybe your your well-being or your mental health, knowing that there's a lot of pressure coming down from the fans and criticism in the media? I know that was over the top. Um, You're kind of in a bubble, you know. You don't. Uh, my head is away a lot of time thinking uh, about the next time we get the players together. What am I going to do? And I didn't really. The media thing annoyed me slightly because I knew I got a heads up from a couple of journalists and friendly. But I said, "Look, they're, they're after you." So, um, and listen, if I win matches, nobody can be after you. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I understand how it works, and I've done it long enough to know that if you don't win, you leave yourself open to criticism. Whether you think that criticism is justified or not is irrelevant. So I was open to criticism because we weren't winning, and what did I do about it? You know, I just have to win. You know, that's the only answer to, to that stuff, and again, I couldn't manage to get that to happen. So It's like a turning point that just never quite arrived for you in the team. The, we've touched on the Spain when the Czech Republic draw at home and then yeah. an opportunity to, to get off to the start, good yeah. start in yeah. and the it didn't quite camp. happen you know? yeah. it didn't quite happen it so I mean it, it the, the funny thing I look, I look back on it and it's going to only look back on it as a as a disappointment in my career but you know I, there's a great sense of pride of, of uh, having done the job and you know, I, I, I tried my best uh, to do the job as well as I could. I could look back and see I should have done something, some things differently. And I learnt a hell of a lot from, you know, from that period of, of management 
different things about me, which helped me since then. You know. Have you changed as a, a manager since that? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm. Uh, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be, and I also think that uh, my the way society's changing and, and you know we considered old school when it comes to mm-hmm. to management having sort of Alec McDonald is my you know probably the best manager I worked under but it was very tough you okay. know and uh, and I think that, that society's changing kids are changing uh, and and you know coming into this job and doing my director of football role here and working a lot in the academy and working with younger people uh, I see that. And, and it's made my approach different, you know, being much calmer and much less inclined to to get involved in a, in a fight, you know. So um, I think the Scotland job taught me that about relationships, you know, not always been uh, having things in my favour, okay. you know. It was much more equal than, than you know, I previously looked at things. So... And and I've learned a lot from that, particularly you know that I'm back doing doing the managerial job again. So, if if there was a vacancy at Scotland now or next year, what would you say to somebody who is going to step into the role? What kind of warnings would you give them or a heads up? You know, I think the, there there should be a a handbook. <laughs> sounds silly, eh? but I mean a lot of the things that that are. Uh, it's so different from club management that you really have to look at in, into it in great detail and see if that's exactly what you want to do. I let my heart rule my head. As I say, there was things were going brilliantly at Dundee United and I could only see them getting better. But I, it was tugging at me that, you know, I didn't look into how much you know time I'd be on the road down in England watching games and how little time I'd be on the training ground. I didn't look into it. In any way, shape, or form, I just thought it was Scotland. But then, once I got it, I realised, oh, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Yeah. And the funny thing is, again, I, Stuart Reagan was uh, uh, had come in by that time, and uh, although he was uh, kind of my boss, he didn't really know anything about football. Right. You know, and uh, so I didn't. It's quite funny. You don't really have a boss, if you know what I mean. You just make your own decisions. You do your own things, and. Uh, most clubs that I've been at, I always had a chairman or you know, so I've got Anne Budge here at Hearts just now who I can, you know, really talk to and, and just you know talk through scenarios. Uh, I think it's a really lonely place at times. Uh, being the manager club, ma- eh, sorry, being the manager in a national team. Does it feel like the spotlight is on you? Con- well, whenever the games are coming around. Only, f- only for the games. Yeah. Only for the game. Only for that two-week period or one-week period. You know, I think that after that you're. Yeah, I mean, as a Scotland manager, people would always sort of stop in the street and wish me well and all that sort of stuff, you know. So, which is nice, but yeah. winning games would be nicer. Yeah, yeah. qualifying. I mean, yeah, qualifying is the big, the big thing for 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 anybody who takes the job, you know. And I think the the next manager who manages to do that will be, you know, be the top man in Scotland for a, for a long time. <laughs> Would you have a particular memory from your managerial term that stands out as the highlight? A particular moment or a game? Um, I think the first game we won our first. It was a friendly, of course, but you know that experience of being the Scotland manager standing at the touchline was enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, the the two Spain games I felt we were really close to getting something. You know, from the match, um, the lowest point I think was losing down in uh, Wales. Gareth Bale's double. Yeah. The start of the 2014 campaign. Yeah, yeah, that was because uh, I think that was a significant match. You know, I think we needed to you know, to get something down there. Did Stephen Fletcher score in that game? But the ball, the the linesman ruled the ball uh, had just gone out. Players. Yeah, it was like it was. The ball wasn't out, you know, and uh, and again another thing that I thought. Oh, <laughs> um, but I, I look. It's funny because I look back on it and I feel really proud of it. I mean, a lot of things didn't go didn't go my way, or 
or I made mistakes or um, but it was a it was a big thing for me and, and I, I learned so much about me uh, and from that I've been able to shape what I'm doing now a little bit better than I did previously um, so it has been useful for me your, your contract was up at the end of the 2014 qualifying campaign am I correct in saying that you weren't planning to stay on if Scotland didn't make it to Brazil um, I, I, what had happened was that I had signed my contract if I remember correctly my contract had an option clause in it mm-hmm. and the SFA took up the option uh, it wasn't my choice Okay. Um, to start the 2014 yeah, campaign yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. and at the end of that campaign though had you planned to step down if Scotland hadn't or let your contract I, would, I don't think I would have been there. I mean, the, the contract itself was, was running over two qualifying campaigns, and I think it's pretty straightforward. If I hadn't qualified okay. for the second uh, campaign, then I don't think it would have. Bye bye. I don't think it would have got another one. Okay. That I said right at the beginning. I think the, the the role or the or the job is to qualify for a major tournament, and if whether you see one campaign or two campaigns, if you don't qualify, I think you're you had it. Yeah. Well, you're, how do you assess Scotland's chances for this campaign coming up? Your centre-halves might have a lot to say in that. I think we've got a chance. We've put ourselves in a really good position. But, I mean, the, the, I think it was bizarre. Alec looked kind at the beginning. Eh? It was, like, it was honestly horrendous. Eh? And the media at times, I think, are, they need to look at themselves for for the role that they play and the, and the feelings about the national team. Right. Pushing a narrative, almost. Yeah, well, it's almost like some people want the team to, to fail so we can say, oh, it's another failure, you know, it's better for the headlines. And and some of the stuff I heard early on was ridiculous, you know. Uh, and I was just, uh, you know, I text Alex after the games and saying, well, well done, just keep going, you know. Uh, and I'm hopeful more than anybody. Uh, I know how hard it is, eh, mm-hmm. to, to carry the hopes of... The, the nation and uh, and to get that next qualification, the one that everybody just because this place will go nuts on it when, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we qualify for the next one. So uh, I really hope that this is the one. You know, well, the, the playoff position is secured. Yeah. So it's hell for leather, really, with trying to achieve automatic qualification Absolutely. in this group. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Knowing that there's the there's the, the, the net to the fall other, back yeah, into. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So. It's exciting, you know. It's I think we've all we've all got that little bit of hope, but we don't want to hope too much because because of past experiences, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, so we shall, we shall see. Craig, that's been fantastic running through all of that with you. Thanks very much for coming on to the Hamden Row. Yeah, my pleasure. Sports Social Podcast Network.